Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Second Take Cinema coming at you from the Impala Films headquarters in sunny Southend-on-Sea. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Evans, and I'm joined, as always, by Rory Jocelyn. Hello, everybody. Today, we are doing something a little bit different, a little bit out there. I'm indulging myself a little bit, because today, ladies and gentlemen is the 60th birthday, the 60th anniversary of one of my personal favourite shows of all time, Doctor Who. And the fact that this show has lasted for 60 years is insane. There are very few shows, we've talked about this before, Rory, yeah. there's very few shows that can celebrate a 60th anniversary. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to see what lies in store with, for us with the three 60th anniversary specials airing this winter, mm-hmm. um, with David Tennant returning as the 14th Doctor, yep. not the 10th, he's playing a different version. Uh, Russell T. Davis is back, Catherine Tate's back, yeah. N- Neil Patrick Harris is playing a villain. Uh, in one of the specials. You know he's a villain? Yeah, yeah, he's the okay. celestial toy maker. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely a villain. Rachel Talele's back to direct one of them. Oh, okay. Um, uh, they've brought back Murray Gold, who's my favourite composer from Doctor Who. Right. He was the composer for Eccleston, Tennant, Smith, and Capaldi, uh, and then left at the start of the Chibnall era, and they bought some weird dubstep thing in to try and be more in touch with the youth and i hated it because i'm an old man so today ladies and gentlemen we're so, going to talk Gala, hey how are you doing they'd probably work at a comic con as yeah. a pickup line galilei how are you doing yeah. <laughs> uh, so today ladies and gentlemen what come t- inside your tardis baby yeah oh <laughs> it's bigger on the inside <laughs> Those are getting cut, aren't they, <laughs> No, no, they're not. Let's ruin it. Uh, so today, ladies and gentlemen, we're doing a little thing where we're going to go back to the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who because that's really the closest thing you've got to a modern Doctor Who movie other than the 1996 television movie that they did, and that's not very good. So <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. You've got the Peter Cushion ones where he's human. Yeah, but that, they're from the 60s. I said modern. Ah. Well, I suppose it depends on what time step scale you're talking about. If you're talking in the concept of the whole fucking cosmos existing, then Earth itself is still pretty modern. Yes, <laughs> if you're talking true. about the entire existence of the universe. I wasn't, I wasn't quite going to that scope, Jamie, but thank you for introducing the possibility. Well, it's, it's like that famous saying, isn't it? If you were to condense the whole of the universe's... No, the whole of Earth's history into one year, humanity doesn't turn up till very late on the 24th of December. Yeah. In relative terms, that's how long we've been here. Yep. Um, anyway, so we are looking back at the 2013 uh, 50th anniversary oh, yes. special. Uh, we're talking about the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, the day of the Doctor, because it's basically feature length. What's interesting about this is obviously I'm a hardcore Doctor Who fan. I've seen this episode a whole bunch of times. Uh, Rory is not a Doctor Who fan. Uh, uh, safe to say your entire experience with Doctor Who is you've seen the Eccleston season and that's it? I've seen is bits that... of the others. I saw them, um, the Matt Smith, for, um, most of the first season of Matt Smith. Okay. Um don't remember much of it. Don't remember much of the Exton one either. Um, but yeah, the, so the only, as we say, there, there's only one other show really that matches the length of time of Doctor Who, and even then, Doctor Who still has a few years on it. 
which is Star Trek. Yeah. Talk to me about Star Trek, man. I'm I'm all in there, um, whereas you're not, though I do believe you're catching up with it at the moment with Next Gen. Mm. Um, basically, Doctor Who is my version of your Star Trek. You know, yeah. I've got to catch up. Yeah, um, except there's much more Star Trek for me to get through first. Yes. Well, no. If I was going to make you watch all of Classic Who, there wouldn't be. But I'm not going to do that to you. Right. Okay. Even though, hands up, some of classic Doctor Who's brilliant. Well, it wouldn't have stayed as long, I would imagine, if it it's, was all garbage. No, no, some of it's very good. You just have to be in a very specific mind frame to watch it. Right. Because, much like a lot of original series Star Trek, yeah. it's aged. The problem is, original series, I think the benefit you've got original with Star series, Trek... Star Trek hasn't aged. I think the benefit, <laughs> not as badly, I'll give you that, not as badly. Oh, really? Because I was Star, joking, Trek, but... Star Trek always had a higher budget than Doctor Who. Just by virtue of being an American show. Okay. In and the, also... Except the third season, maybe. And because the episodes are type 40-minute episodes. Right. Whereas Doctor Who, back in its classic era, one story would be like eight 20-minute parts. Oh, jeez. So some of them... Some of them do just feel like they're playing for time in the middle. It's a little bit like the Dragon Ball Z problem we've talked about, yeah. where it's like, okay, the writers haven't had time to write the, what's happening next yet, so let's just do an episode where it's just the Doctor walking around the TARDIS being like, hmm, what's happening here? Except in Dragon Ball Z, it's just a fight. Yeah, some of them, though, hold up very surprisingly well. Yeah. It's probably a sad thing about the human race that some of the more moral-based episodes... Still land. ...are even worse today oh, than they geez. were back then. Uh, but I was going to say, the other big difference is with Star Trek and Doctor Who is it's funny is both of them, they kind of did a flip because Star Trek did three seasons and then went away for a long time. Yes. Not counting the animated series yes. and the movies. Just talking about TV here. So when it comes back with next gen, yeah, uh, towards the end TV of the 80s. For about 20 years. Yeah. You really do feel the improvement in that time. Yeah. The production values. And the... just the way TV is made and yeah. stuff. Doctor Who ran from 1963 all the way to 1989 continuously. Right. So the progress in techniques feels much slower. Well, it grades, I'm guessing, over the seasons. Yeah, but it doesn't grade as quickly as it should because because the BBC were ashamed of Doctor Who. Yeah. And it was always kept as like this little basement show that they did for weird nerds who lived in the basement. Um, and the budgets got smaller and smaller as it went along. <laughs> Um, they, they, they don't improve as quick as they should. And that is partly the writing's fault, to be fair. They shouldn't have been still trying to do... By the time you get to, say, the seventh Doctor in the late 80s, you should not still be using the format you're using in the first Doctor era. Right. And that is, I'll hold my hands up, that is a fault of the writing staff on Doctor Who. They you should have done more bottle episodes, you mean? Yeah, or, like or yeah, change the episodes to 40 minutes or something like that. Right. You shouldn't still be doing eight 20-minute parts of... Right. One story. Because even by the 80s, people thought that was slow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, then Doctor Who went away for most of the 90s and the early 2000s, which is kind of when Star Trek was in a boom period. Yeah, Because that's yeah. when you had Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager all ran through that yeah, time, Star didn't Trek they? ruled the roost. You had Babylon 5 came out during that time. Yeah. Babylon 5 is very good. Stargate was in the 90s, Stargate, wasn't it? Stargate, late 90s. There was a big sci-fi SG boom 1, in the 90s. Yeah, and weirdly enough, Doctor Who basically missed almost all of it. Yeah. And um, then came back. <laughs> yeah, in the 2000s when the sci-fi thing started being replaced with the superhero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
with some modifications to its formula, but we'll, we won't talk about those today. Sure. So anyway, um, a bit of an interesting thing then, because this is kind of just dropping Rory in this. Uh, basically, yeah. to sum up, at a least bit, I'd though. seen the like the two main doctors that come back for this. Mm. Obviously, the one who was still current was Matt Smith during this point, yeah. and the recurring one is the uh, David Tennant. Yeah. I had seen both of them before, yeah. So I was aware of them. I don't know their histories as well as maybe I should have done for this episode. Mm. Obviously, the John Hurt is the uh, is the third do- main Doctor in this episode. He's exclusive to this episode, if I'm not... Uh, he has a very brief appearance at the end of the previous one, which is what sets him up. Right. But he, he literally doesn't have... I don't think he has any dialogue. He just turns around and literally a graphic comes up that says, and introducing John Hurt as the Doctor. Interesting. And then okay. it cuts to the credits. Sure. So, um, you've, so other than that introduction... He's exclusive to this episode, so there's no way I would have known about him before. Um, In fact, the way they set this up is that not even big Doctor Who fans would have known who the hell he was until they explain his storyline in this episode. Yeah. Um, But at least Matt Smith and David Tennant, I was missing some context. And there's a few cameo appearances by um, people that I I was like, who the fuck is that? Yeah. Though I did appreciate seeing Rose, even though it's not actually Rose. Yeah. Um, Because, again, I'd watched the uh, Christopher Eccleston season, the first season of New Who. Yeah. Um, New Who. That is what they call it, New (laughs) Who. And, uh, yeah, basically, so I knew that character was meant to be. But obviously she's not actually playing Rose in this. She's playing a, a, a facsimile of Rose created by the Death Box or whatever it's yeah. called. The Moment. The Moment. The Moment. Uh, so just so, yeah. so just give people some context um so they have some appreciation this uh episode uh came out you'd had three seasons of matt smith this came out in the november that the seventh season had aired during that summer and season seven is quite a not a great season of Doctor Who and Stephen Moffat has since said that that is largely because all his attention was on getting the 50th right, right. He, he had to try and do it so they cut the budget at the last minute for what he was supposed to have due to some contract issues they didn't even know if they were going to have either of the doctors for a long time uh, they did try to get Eccleston and have Eccleston be the Doctor that fought the Time War. Yeah, uh, but, instead of John Hurt. Yeah, yeah, but due to his bad relationship with the BBC now, he refused to come back. Uh, so John Hurt was added in as an extra Doctor that they call the War Doctor so that they don't fuck up the numbering. Yeah. Um, and they do a whole gimmick where no one's ever mentioned him because basically they've repressed him and they don't admit that he exists sort mm. of thing. Uh, and the other thing to know is that one of the big challenges he was faced with was the BBC insisted, I suppose rightly, that the show had to not only be a monumental episode, not only be a celebration of the history of Doctor Who, but also be accessible to casual viewers. Because I do know, like, my parents, they watched the 50th. They hadn't watched Doctor Who since they were kids. But because shows don't make it to 50th anniversaries, it was a big event on British TV, and it was even shown in some cinemas. I actually, one of my biggest regrets is I didn't go and see it in a cinema. Right. I kind of wish I had. Mm. Um, Because I've seen all the adverts they did leading up to it as well, and the adverts are very funny as well. It's mostly just Smith and Tennant ripping on each other. Just who it. (laughs) Just who it. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) 
But basically, oh, come on, that would have been an awesome tagline. Yeah. No, you're not happy with that tagline. <laughs> um, so another interesting fact about this, uh, it actually holds a Guinness World Record this episode. Okay. Not for the longevity of the show, but it is the largest ever simulcast TV drama. Meaning it was simulcast in a whole bunch of countries. Oh, you mean broadcasting? Same... I, I thought you meant the amount of p- cast members. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. So simulcasting is what they call it when, say, say Doctor Who is at 7pm on a Saturday here. Mm-hmm. They f- Because they don't want any spoilers to get out. Oh, they make sure that it broadcasts at the exact same time. Accounting for all the time, time differences. Okay. And I actually, it doesn't give, uh, so it was broadcast simultaneously in 94 different countries. Wow. That is pretty... For Doctor Who as well. Yeah, like, no. like, you'd think it'd be like Friends or something. Like, the finale of Friends would be the one that did that or something. Well, you know what they what they should have done, being Doctor Who? They should have filmed it. And gone back in time. <laughs> no, no, no. Released it somewhere, but, like, private. Mm-hmm. On YouTube or something. Yeah. Then, re- then actually make it publicly viewable. Like three years later, yeah. And when people come to look at it, it's like uploaded three years ago. So how did we miss this Doctor Who yeah. episode? So <laughs> it was broadcast back in time. Yeah, they no one would have the balls to do that because it'd be like we need the returns kind of immediately, guys. Not in yeah. three years' time, but that would be a really funny and awesome way to do a Doctor Who schedule, yeah. <laughs> at least like one special. So. um it, it had cinema release in Cineworld View and Odeon Cinemas. Mm. Uh, it was also released in cinemas in Canada and New Zealand and in cinem- and in AMC Cinemas in the United States. In Mexico, it was also released in 20 cinemas. So not even just in Britain, it had a cinematic release. Um, in terms of reception, on Rotten Tomatoes, it holds a 100%. On the tomato meter, which I did not know. That is very unusual for a Rotten Tomatoes. Normally they're very negative. Yeah. IGN gave it 9.3. New York Magazine gave it five stars. Radio Times gave it five stars. The AV Club gave it an A-. And Daily Telegraph gave it five stars as well. Critical consensus reads, Doctor Who Day of the Doctor is a joyous marker in the series, uniting two of the most beloved Time Lords and setting them together on a rousing adventure full of crowd-pleasing nods and wings. Uh, ben Lawrence of the Daily Telegraph gave it five stars, calling it charming, eccentric, and very, very British. It is De- very British. Yeah. Den of Geek praised the special, calling it terrific, and stating that it was pulsating with comedy ambition and a top-to-bottom entertainment. However, he commented negatively on the handling of the Zygon subplot, stating that it just kind of fizzles out a little after That's strong true. build-up. Which is true, um, because that ending that we'll get to overshadows the entire episode because it's that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, I do think one of the big problems in this, in fact, we're kind of done with the reviews there, so I'll move on. Um, the biggest problem I have with this, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be a fanboy, so I'm going to start with my big negative. Okay. This episode, and I don't blame Moffat for this because I understand the pressure he's under and I understand how hard it must be to weave all this in, especially when you've got to add a new Doctor. You yeah. can't just do Eccleston. The, especially the first half of this special is all over the place. It is such a weird structure because yeah. you ba- you basically keep hopping to the three different timelines, don't you? With te- before they all meet, oh, see, you're constantly yes. hopping between Smith 
it, it's got a strong start where the TARDIS gets picked up by the helicopter yeah. and Matt Smith's hanging out of it. He goes to see the painting. That's all very cool. We both commented how cool an effect that was, yeah, the yeah, 3D yeah. painting. And then it almost flashes back to John, John Hurt. But that flashback lasts like 15 straight minutes yeah and then comes back to matt smith and then goes to david tennant and then uh, goes back to john the david Hurt. tennant one is about five six minutes at least yeah before another it's, doctor arrives it's a little bit of a weird structure and then it is almost i wonder if at one point it was meant to be a two-parter and not a single special because sense. it is almost two episodes it's your zygon episode mm. and your time war episode yeah and i can see where thematically he's tried to link them because the idea is that Kate Stewart's going to have to make a similar decision to him, yeah. where she's going to have to blow up the whole of London to save the yeah. world. And he says, doesn't he, you'll never be able to live with this. But it, it, it doesn't feels quite work. As well. It feels yeah. a bit rushed. And I wonder if he ran out of time to really tart up the script as much as it could have had. I am fairly certain from what I know that every stage of this production ran out of time. Yeah. Uh, they ran out of time with the script because... Basically, he'd written a special with no doctors in it because he didn't know he was going to have any doctors. Yeah. So it was all going to be about the companions yeah. and like how their lives were after traveling with the doctor, which sure, I guess that would be kind of interesting, but you kind of want the doctor in your 50th anniversary Doctor Who special. Mm. Um, but then I suppose they could have introduced John Hurt as the doctor for that special. Yeah. That would yeah, have been a They could have done that. And then, you've, and then it's like the missing doctor. Yeah. Um, and then I do believe that, like, because obviously, obviously, you can't push this. This has to come out on a specific day, yeah. which is November 23rd. Yeah. Uh, then again, saying that, the 60th is not airing on November 23rd. It's airing November 25th. So I guess you can push them um, because they want it to be on a Saturday, yeah. specifically. That, uh, to be fair, I don't think people will mind you flexing a little bit. Like yeah. And I'm pretty sure they basically like ran short on filming time. I'm pretty sure they ran short on effects because there's some really good effects for Doctor Who in this. Mm. And there's some effects that are like, done in five minutes, was it? <laughs> this yeah. this little time vortex you've just done? Yeah, the time vortex looked like garbage. <laughs> that the... really looks like it was done in five minutes, yeah. doesn't it? No, just uh, fuck it. We've got so much else to do. Just make, just select default vortex. Because it looks like, like they had the assets somewhere yeah. from something, probably from like an old episode of Red Dwarf or yeah, something. something like I that just probably. went click. That'll do. <laughs> Drag into timeline. Um, there was yeah, because you only really see it at the same angle every single time as well. Mm. So it's not like they had like a fully three D asset that they would move around. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my big negative with it. Yeah. Um. Because I, I, I can be objective, even though I love Doctor Who and I really like this episode. Mm. Um, it is very messy. I mean, I've seen that episode probably five times now. And the beginning bit is still messy Yeah, for me. And there's a few leaps in it where you're a bit like... Well, to be fair, they throw it away with a line, don't they? Which is, the time war is meant to be time-locked. Yeah. How do they get there... And they kind of and and David Tent just goes, we shouldn't even be here. And you kind of just get a glimpse of Billy Piper as the moment. And you're like, I guess she did it. <laughs> yeah, moment. that's all we're gonna get. Yeah, that's so much of a, an acknowledgement. Um, and to be fair, most people probably won't care. Yeah. Um, except for hardcore Who fans or Whovians. Um, the, what I was gonna mention was uh, 
one of the things where it seemed like they ran out of time was there's some editing choices on this that oh, feel yeah. a bit dodgy. Um, there's one transition in, in particular that is really shit. Kate Stewart, where it transitions to the Tower of yeah. London. While she's That's talking. really bad, isn't really, it? Yeah. It's like, just make it a smash cut then. Just don't don't bother. Like, it yeah, it we feels did not really out fade. of place, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like they're just trying to shut yeah, shut up already. Like, we've had a fucking enough of you. Yeah, it almost it's really, feel, it's it almost rude. It almost <laughs> feels like they were told, right, you've got exactly 77 minutes, because that's how long it is. Yeah. Not one second over, and they edited it, and it was like 77 minutes and five seconds. Yeah. And they're like, shit, where are we going to cut five seconds from? Here, fade. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've been, I did that in some of my uni projects. It can't be more than 25 minutes. Oh, shit, we're 26 minutes. How are we going to make that space? Just Literally go through transition. and make every cut super tight <laughs> and just be like crossfade <laughs> yeah so speed, I, I, I'm not gonna lie I have done the trick before where you just speed up the credit crawl yeah because it's like no one reads these anyway <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone leaves the cinema yeah, so yeah. so there's that one the other one as well I thought was um, there's a couple of points in that and to be fair they're cu- kind of rare it's not overly common um, but there's a couple of points where one shot won't match the following shot, mm. uh, where someone's moved yeah. and then like the, it looks really jarring how yeah. the cameras. The big one up. I noticed is when they hand them the letter right at the beginning of the letter yes. from Queen Elizabeth the first. In one shot, um, Clara, the companion, takes the letter. Yeah. In one shot, and then when it cuts to a shot of all four of them, Kate Stewart is still holding the letter, and Clara takes it again. Yep. And it was like ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you could have you saved t- your five seconds there instead of on the it, transition. You took it at the wrong time, <laughs> Clara, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so my other problem with this episode, just to get out of the way, and you, you can argue that you don't need them because it's more about the theme and not them in particular. I would like more Daleks. Right. If you're going to show the time war... Make the Daleks a bigger part of it, maybe. Yeah, because the Daleks are not the villains in this episode, no, really. No. It's the ti- It's the Zygons are the villains, and then the time war... And they're nowhere near as cool. No, although it is a nice little fact. Uh, the Zygons... So they're a classic error enemy. Yep. Uh, and growing up, they were David Tennant's favourite Doctor Who villains, right. and they never did them while he was the Doctor. Oh. So then they brought him back and went, should we do Zygons? And he was like, yes. And then he snugs one. Yeah. <laughs> Big red rubbery thing covered in suckers. Venom sacks in the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like David Tennant's Doctor... Doctor Ten is the closest Doctor Who's ever gotten to Captain Kirk right. in terms of boning aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reckon Kirk could snog a, snog a Zygon. Kirk could yeah, try and put his penis in one of the little sucker things. <laughs> yeah. In fact, they'd be like, oh, no, we're, we're freaks. But no, no, please, yeah. Captain, leave Ca- us alone. Captain, this is illogical. <laughs> Have you seen someone's done uh, an edit of original series scenes to make it seem like Kirk and Spock are in a, uh, an aggressive gay relationship? No. It's quite funny. Who's um, the top? I feel like Spock's the top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just make it painless and quick. <laughs> what? There's a bit where Spock says, "Just make it painless and quick." But he's the top. <laughs> I don't know. Is he the bottom? To be honest, I've got to be honest. This is the an early two thousands edit that's probably now incredibly un PC. Yeah. Because of what they found funny about homosexuality in the early two thousands. Yeah. To be fair, not really translated well what? into the modern era. Uh, so <laughs> ba- basically, your basic setup for Day of the Doctor is. 
the eleventh Doctor, which is Matt Smith, and the current incumbent Doctor gets picked up by UNIT, which is like Britain's secret X Files organization, mm. and given a letter from Queen Elizabeth the right. and taken into an art gallery, which I assume is like the Tate Modern or something, and gets shown a painting called No More or Gallifrey Falls. Um, it's got two different titles, and it's a it's Time Lord art. And like all Time Lord things, it's bigger on the inside. It's an actual frozen moment of time. Um, they also get shown another painting where the glass on the front of the picture has been smashed from within the painting. And there were figures yeah. in the painting that are now no longer in the painting. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, you've got John Hurt plays the War Doctor on the last day of the Time War, where he's about to press the big red button and annihilate the Time Lords and the Daleks together. Which, this has been the whole driving force of New Who for seven years at this point. Yeah. So it's a monumental thing to do, because they never showed it on screen, yeah. ever. Um, I notice how everyone's dressed the same on Gallifrey. They do this budgets. in Star Trek as well, they do this in all sci-fi, yeah, it's but everyone wears the same costume on different planets, but it's like, humans don't wear this, like, in the same town, like, we live in the same town, as many people who all yeah, dress differently. But it's, it's that sci-fi shorthand, isn't it? Because it's the yeah. same as how... We were actually talking about this the other day, weren't we? In sci-fi, you will have the planet of the Daleks, the yeah. planet of Klingons. There's no planet of humans. Well, there's Earth. Our pla- no, that's what I'm saying. There's not. We have monkeys, cows, horses. Oh, I see. All sorts there, of species. There are, there are species on Kronos. But what I mean is a They've lot of times... A lot of time, they don't bother with stuff like that, do they? Because yeah. it's got to be shorthand. Same as it's usually homogenized. Fantasy worlds do this as well. Yeah. It's homogenized cultures. Or if you come to Earth, there's hundreds of different cultures with different traditions and well, things like that. There's hundreds of different variations of just spiders. Yeah. Let alone every other type yeah. of species. Whereas in, say, Star Trek, you would go to Vulcan and it's, right, these are Vulcans, they all kind of look like this. There's a type of bear. And they run on logic. Yeah, there's a type of bear as well. Yeah. And it's same in fantasy worlds, isn't it? It's like, you'll have it, it'll be like, alright, this is the land where orcs live. There's yeah. nothing else, just, just orcs. orcs. And all the orcs are the same because, let's be honest, this already overly long fantasy book would be five times the length if we went through <laughs> the entire system of orc politics, orc tradition. Well, yeah, and they all think the same. Like Orcs all think the same. Elves all think the same. Yeah. They're all the same sort of thing, apart from maybe the one friend yeah. who will dare to think differently. But it, it's something you kind of have to do, or else your, your thing becomes boring. Or overly complicated. That's the thing. There's yeah. too, there is a there is such a thing as too much setup. Yeah. And too much exploration. Mm. Uh, but basically, um, a time vortex opens by uh, the moment, which, as Rory said, it's it's got a physical interface which chooses the form of Rose Tyler, aka Bad Wolf. And where's Bad Wolf from? Because that's I don't from that that's from the end of the Equestrian season. She becomes Bad Wolf. What is Bad Wolf? So basically. No one knows. <laughs> it's not a great story arc, to be honest. Okay. Uh, basically, long story short, all the way through the Eccleston season, they keep seeing the words Bad Wolf everywhere, right. and they don't know what it is. And Eccleston, when he finally cottons on that he's seeing it everywhere, starts to think that it is some sort of malevolent force. And then, obviously, the Daleks are revealed as the villains at the end of the season. And he's like, well, 
Daleks can't have done that. They can't have followed me all through time and done that. And obviously, he sends Rose home, doesn't he? Because he thinks he's going to lose. Yeah. And Rose, desperate to get to him, breaks open the TARDIS console and absorbs the time vortex. Right. So basically, Bad Wolf is Rose when she's absorbed the time vortex. Wow. And she's got those super glowy powers and she dissolves. She Thanos is all the Daleks 10 years before Thanos was around. Right. 15 years before Thanos was around. Yeah. Uh, she Thanos is all the Daleks and she is spread the message bad wolf all the way through the universe to lead the doctor to that point in time sure um which doesn't really work so i don't quite know how just the word bad wolf does that but and then obviously Eccleston has to absorb the time vortex back from her because she's human and it will kill her yeah. and it causes him to regenerate right into david tennant right new teeth that's interesting yes new teeth <laughs> where where was i oh yes barcelona um <laughs> All three Doctors meet. The best part of any multi-Doctor special is when the Doctors meet and don't get along. Because he never gets along with himself. Uh, There's an obligatory penis joke, which we probably didn't need. But it's funny anyway. When Matt Smith's got a bigger sonic screwdriver than David Tennant. And then David Tennant goes, compensating? For what? Regeneration. It's a lottery. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Um, they mock David Tennant's shoes because he wears Converse and they keep calling him Sand Shoes. Yeah, I don't understand why they're called Sand Shoes, though. I have heard that insult before, but I don't know where it come, like where it originates it's from. A, it's from somewhere where you don't wear Converse's in the desert I don't or on the so. beach. I don't think so. so. But I've, I've heard it before. Yeah. I just don't know what the origins of it are. No, uh, they mock the bow tie, of course. Yep. Uh, the fact that modern... I do like that they call out the fact that modern doctors all use the sonic screwdriver like it's a weapon. Yeah, like they point They're it always like as this. a defensive gun um, thing, yeah. Which none of the classic... In fact, the classic doctors barely use the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. Uh, same with the psychic paper. They barely use it. Right. Um, to be fair, the doctor, they've kind of eased off of him using psychic paper in the newer seasons as well. But, it, but... Oh, it's slightly psychic paper. It's how it basically they wrote it in as how he fakes his way into buildings because ah. he go, it shows you what he, you... he wants you to see. Right. So he'll go in and make it look like an FBI badge, let's say. Right. Um, but then there's one episode that's quite funny where they meet a race that's literally too stupid for it to work on them. Right. And they're just like, that's just a blank piece of paper. Um, it's because they're literally not imaginative enough so to imagine it. Right. Um, but yeah. Um, and basically, I guess what the whole episode is, there's a bunch of typical Doctor Who shenanigans running around. Um, they're on the hunt for shape-shifting Zygons. There's a very funny bit where David Tennant thinks it's a bunny rabbit. Um, yeah. And he does a typical... Te- see, what something... That's a very typical Tenth Doctor speech. He got to a point where he was doing those all the time. I'm the Doctor. I'm 900 years old. I'm going to stop you. That sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And you're basically just a rabbit, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, general warning. <laughs> I, I, see, the one thing that they could have done with that... They wouldn't have done, because why would they... Uh, but was just have a Scottish guy running. Could have been uh, Capaldi. Yeah. He's running goes, <laughs> it's one of the most evil, blood-sucking things you'll ever meet. Yeah. <laughs> what, behind the rabbit? It is the rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know I- what? They should just remake... <laughs> They'll never do this. But they should remake Monty Python's Life of, uh, the Ho- and the Holy Grail. Yeah. But... All of the main characters are the, just the Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> All the different actors is that are the, the Doctor. One, is that the one that's got the nonsense, it's just a flesh wound joke yes. in it? 
Yes. Yeah, I've seen that. That's the only Monty Python I've seen, I think. I love that film. I did not like. Oh. Other than that bit, that was the best bit. That is a It's really a flesh bit. wound. Yeah. His arms are off. Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> um... <laughs> But really, the main theme we're dealing with here is it's all about the doctor's decision to have committed genocide yep. in what he thought was the name He's, of good. Yeah. It feels a little bit, a little bit too close to home today. Oh um, man! But yeah, hopefully not by the time this comes out. Um, hopefully, it's useful. Yeah, and it's about him finding another way. Yes. And there's a load of fan service as well, which was nice for me. Not so much for you, because I imagine most of it was just... Yeah. Did you I pick... didn't even recognise Tom Baker at the end. I was like, to be fair, so he's old. Then? To be fair, he's old as shit. <laughs> he to... didn't have the scarf. No. Some other you... bird had the yeah, scarf I was going to say, did you notice Osgood had the, yeah, the Tom Baker the scarf? scarf? And then, so when this old dude walks mm. in, and I'm like... Oh, is he an old companion? Like, no, that's no. Tom Baker. Like, where's his fucking scar? No, to be fair, I thought you'd recognise the voice because he's got a really iconic voice, Tom Baker. Yeah. He's the narrator from God. As much as I hate the show, he's yeah, the narrator Britain. from Little Britain. Yeah, Britain, Britain. Yeah, he didn't really uh, have that much of a booming voice, but he was older when he did this. About yeah, ten years later, um, and he was already old when he did Little Britain. Yeah, so um, they bring Osgood back in the Capaldi era, and she then not only does she have the scarf, she adds the Seventh Doctor's question marks on her lapel. Right. And it's like, okay, stop. Yeah. No, it's getting a bit much. But yeah. Because I'm sorry, the question marks and the lapels. While I'm sure it was done by the doctor first, I now can't help but think Riddler. Um, I don't know, because didn't 60s Riddler do it? No, he didn't have question marks. Didn't he have on a question mark? He had a question mark on it. So it was Frank Gorshin played yeah. the Riddler on TV. Uh, and he had a basically just a skin tight green fucking. Mm. What would be a morph suit, but without the head? Uh, and yeah. a question mark was painted on the belly. Yeah. Um, but that's it. So they never did it with the Doctor until it was the sixth Doctor they started it with. Six and seven are the only two they did it with. Yeah. And it was basically because the sixth Doctor was pitched as a really dark Doctor. Right. And Colin Baker was a very good actor at doing dark stuff. Yeah. And then the BBC went, this show's for children, it's too scary. And decided to make him a clown, which is why he has that ridiculous multicoloured patchwork. Oh. You must have seen it, that scene yeah, yeah, where they're at all... Yeah, the very see- end when you've yeah. got all the doctors. I mean, yeah. all the doctors dress crazy, but he takes the cake. And it's, yeah. it's such a shame because it's so antithetical to his performance. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we've got to do branding because it's the 80s. It's all about branding. Oh, let's get so He-Man question style mark. toys out yeah, there. Yeah, literally. That's when they also introduced... K-9? The Who-Mobile. Oh shit! Yeah, I've heard about the Hoover yeah. No, K nine was before. K nine was Tom Baker's era, right. um, and quite well liked. They did try several times to make K nine spin offs, none of which worked. No, uh, because K nine's fine as like a random little character in your show, not as not the as a, the lead of a whole yeah. show. Um, thank you. <laughs> it's, what's weird is when you say the Hoover Bill, I know what you're talking about. I know it's that really shit looking car that with a question mark with a on question it. Mark on it. But I just think of the band The Who mm. and them driving around in some sort yeah. of fucking customised vehicle. It just... Like, I understand you're trying to brand, but think about this logically. Why would a man who has a box that can go anywhere in time and space... Have a car. ...need a car? Yeah. So, talking about vehicles, actually, that was something that I called out right at the start. Mm. Now, I know it's a modern one. Or the motorbike. The motorbike that What's-Her-Face rides. Clara. Clara. Because, sorry, I don't really remember. Um, 
You don't she, think Jenna Coleman's incredibly memorable? Oh, she is. Like, I mean, her performance in this is, but I mean, because I haven't really watched the yeah. show. That's what I meant. Sorry, I should have clarified that. Clarified that. Um, I, I, it's just because I'm a Clara Stan, so. No, no, that's fine. I don't know who Stan is. There's. <laughs> this is Stan. Yeah. <laughs> She's got, she that's where it comes from, you know. That's where the slang comes from, though. Did you know that? Yeah, Gen Z call being a fan of something being a Stan. Right. It comes from the Eminem song. Oh, I thought it was because it was um, connected to Stan Ovslavsky. No, they're not that intelligent. Uh, Sorry. I didn't really think it was Stan Ovslavsky. I knew it wouldn't be. No. Talk Um, about your bike. Yeah, so the bike that Clara rides is a Triumph motorcycle. Now, it's a modern one. I hasten to add. It's not a classic Triumph. As soon as I saw that, though, I was like, fuck off. And the reason I was saying fuck off isn't because Triumph is about far from it. Triumph is a, a, a legendary brand of yeah. motorcycle. It's not really the sort of motorcycle young women ride. And I know that sounds... That Stereotyping, might, yeah, yeah. But hear me out, right? Because I think I might need to relate it to something else to make that not sound really mm. shitty of me. But Triumph is a classic brand of bike. Like Royal Enfield. Exactly. Or Harley Davidson. Uh, I'm. Yeah. Not comparable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of. But the thing is, with Harley Davidson, it's at least a big known brand name. Yeah, it's got like public among awareness. Everyone, right? Triumph doesn't have that same level. Like BSA, mm. Royal Enfield, yeah. Triumph, Bruff Superiors. Or Bruff, I suppose, would be the, the brand name. Even Indian motorcycles. Is it? Is it that are they luxury though? Are they super expensive? Is that your? Are you saying it's no, no, unfeasible it's, that she'd be able to afford one? It's not that. It's the type of brands they are. They are favourites of older generations because mm. they remember them when they were younger. Mm. My dad has a BSA, which is yeah. why I know so much about older bikes. Um, his friends ride classic bikes as well. Mm. Um, so BSAs, Bruffs, Triumphs, yeah. things like that. Younger people don't... I, I've never heard any young person ever. Mm. And, I, you know, this is this could just be me, but I've very rarely heard or never actually heard a young person going, you know what I really want? I want a Triumph. I want a Bruff Superior. I want an old BSA. Yeah. No, what they want, they want a Kawasaki Ninja. Right. Or they, which is a speed bike. Yeah. Or they want, very few people like me, I'm probably one of the youngest people who just wanted a fucking cruiser mm. that was comfortable. Most people want speed bikes when yeah. they're younger. I never did. Yeah. Um, but because of that, they want... E- if they, But if they're going to go for a cruiser-style bike, they'll get Harleys. Yeah. Because it's got the brand name and recognition behind yeah. it. Very rarely will they go for any other brand. Indian, possibly, because it's the other Harley-style brand. But again, both American. Yeah. Very rarely will they go for anything that's more niche. Yeah. Um, you know, because they'll either want dirt bikes, because they can go riding in the dust with it, They'll want Kawasaki Ninjas because they're fast and they're Japanese, so they ride really well. They'll just want some Chinese shit, in which case you won't be getting a Triumph. Or they want Harley Davidson because it's a big brand. Would it be unlikely then that there'd just be one sitting in a shop that you could see and go, oh yeah, I like the look of that one? Because a lot of people don't look at brand names, do they? Like, so here's a. Obviously, I don't have bikes because I don't ride vehicles, but using a different thing. Phones. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, I made a terrible, terrible mistake, Rory. About ten years ago, I bought 
an Alcatel phone. Oh, no, Jamie, no. But here's the thing. I'd never heard of Alcatel. Yeah, they're French. Yeah, they're awful. Yeah, I, that's because they're I, French. I had the phone, I think <laughs> I think it's the shortest period of time I ever owned a phone for. I think I kept it for three months before I was like, I can't use this. You, you know what? I'm going to applaud you for that. You you lasted three months. That is two, was... and a, two months and three weeks longer than yeah. I would have lasted. Well, it, it was... They're but, garbage handsets. Yeah. But this was the thing, was I don't... I know some people do. I know some people go looking specifically for an iPhone or yeah. a Samsung. I just went and went, oh, that looks cool. It looks I'll good have and it's cheap. I've never heard of it. I'll yeah. have it. Um, it was a very small phone, mm. probably about that. This was when, remember when the popular flip thing phones. was getting... No, 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 it wasn't a flip. This is remember when the popularity was get phones as small as you possibly can? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you how big it was. It was that big. I'm, I'm holding a thing up to Rory now. It's honestly... Basically just hold your headphones, like ear pods. Yeah, it's like an yeah. ear pod case. Um, it was about that thick. It was quite thick and had some weight to it. Right. Um, and the reason I thought it was cool and immediately realised it was not cool the first time I pulled it out in front of my friends and did it and they didn't go, oh, that's cool and unique. Instead, they were just like, dork. Um, it was a touchscreen. But not with your finger. You needed to have a stylus. <laughs> you had to pop a stylus out the so bottom. I had a Nokia that did that. And it was like, what I liked about the Nokia was you could look like you're really judging someone while typing mm. a text. Because you so camp. Yeah. I used to do it all the time. I'd look at my friend and I'd just turn away like with my nose yeah. up at him while I'm texting. And it would make it look super camp yeah. and super judgy. And, <laughs> and basically what was shit about the phone was A, it was actually just too small. Yeah. So you couldn't get any cool apps on it or out no. like that. Even reading texts on it was difficult because mm. of the way they were crammed together. But the, the touchscreen didn't work. No. Like the st- it would barely pick up the stylus half the time. Mm. So then you'd have to press really hard and then you'd be terrified that you're going to break the screen. Yeah. And if I remember right, the battery on it was garbage as well. Yeah. Um, Alcatel, yeah. Alcatel is literally one of the most garbage brands yeah. of but, there is. So I used point- to sell them, that's how Yeah. <laughs> So my point was, I went there and I didn't buy that. So could she, in th- obviously we're debating something that doesn't matter, but could yeah. she have just gone to a bike shop and gone, well, that looks cool, not really known what a Triumph is, or is that unrealistic that that would happen? Unlikely with a Triumph. Would they not have like there's had not, one in stock? Number one, there's not many bike shops anymore. They all seem to be closing down. But right. even this so... This was 10 years ago, This was 10 years ago. Triumphs aren't a major commodity that was selling a lot. Even at this right. point, 10 years ago, Chinese yeah. bikes were coming in, Lexmoto, things like that. Okay. Um, that certainly now, it would almost all, I mean, certainly be a Chinese Let's bike. be honest, what the realistic reason. So, the only other car- character reason Someone I can think Someone had could be, a Triumph yeah, on set, on the who crew. was an older man, I guarantee it. Yeah. And he went, well, well, let's just get a young rider the, to ride this. A young person, the, Yeah, The, the BBC won't let us rent a motorbike just for this one yeah, scene. But Dave's got a fucking Triumph. Let's just get some young biker lady to ride that for a minute yeah into it's the clearly TARDIS. not clara riding it yeah ride it into the tardis yeah uh which is cool i like that transition it's a really cool shot to be fair um but yes um that is the realist it's the only other reason i can even half think of to justify it is her character is later shown that i mean she's really into like old stuff oh that makes sense um, then like so, she's I don't into have that like context. classic literature and stuff like oh, that like jane austen and stuff yeah, so if she's into retro stuff mm. it would make a lot more sense it's just obviously there's no context it doesn't that in this really episode. i mean i think that's the only time she's ever shown riding a motorbike i think <laughs> at one point i think there's a couple of points where she rides a scooter okay. but it's like a generic scooter that yeah. i don't think you ever see the brand name for right 
Who knows? Maybe it's a reference. Maybe in classic Doctor Who, someone wrote a Triumph and I don't know about it. Maybe. And they were just like, oh, let's stick this bike in. But it's a modern Triumph, so it wouldn't have even worked for that. I don't know. I don't Ooh. know. <laughs> um, but So what was it like as someone who's not super au fait with Doctor Who? What was it like to be just plonked down in the middle of this monumental episode and gone, here, watch this? <laughs> okay. Confusing, I imagine, at, st- at the start especially. So there is another level that I'm not going to be able to answer. Okay. Um, I'm someone who does not know a lot about who, but I do know a lot about sci-fi. Mm. I think that this would read badly for someone who didn't like sci-fi to begin with. Right. It's far too sci-fi yeah. for someone who doesn't like sci-fi. So let's get that out of the way. Because yeah. it's confusing for me as someone who does like sci-fi. Now, I will give it this. The main emotional storyline of this episode holds even if you don't know the characters. Yeah. Uh, because it's well acted. It's It actually does build up the central theme of, mm. you know, making that final decision. Yeah. Um, I teared up a little bit. Yeah. Which I, I was did. surprised. I I've did. seen it five times. And when she's doing the bit where she's like, be a doctor. Yeah. I was just like... Yeah. When the two doctors arrive in John Hurt's time mm. to help, you know, be there with him to make that final decision, um, that was really cool. I like that. Uh, so the emotional through line of this episode holds true, even if you don't know who very mm. well. Perfect. There are It's mo- mostly details. Number one, who the fuck are Unit? You had to explain who Unit are to me. And yeah. the whole episode opens with, basically almost as a cold open, of them somehow picking up the TARDIS on a helicopter and yeah. swinging him somewhere else yeah. on a terrible green screen stunt yeah. effect. Um, and you're like, okay. And he's like, oh, it's Unit. Great. Who the fuck is Unit? You know, because it's not like if they went, oh, it's MI5. Five, yeah. Okay, cool. I know what MI5 is. Unit doesn't really exist. Yeah. But okay, fine. That's uh, that. That's my ignorance of not being a Who fan. I get that. It's not even Torchwood, who was uh, uh, had at least had a series on their own yeah. around Who. Unit never. There's never been a unit show, um, standalone unit show. I. Uh, do you know what? I think there almost was in the eighties, and it got pulled at the last minute. I think. Right. But yeah, you're right. Basically, if you were a classic Who fan, you would definitely know Unit because they were literally in it for twenty years. Oh right. Okay. Um, that main girl, the leader of Unit, Kate Lethbridge Stewart. Yep. Her, she she mentioned her dad, Alastair Lethbridge Stewart, didn't she? Yeah. He was a recurring character all the way through Classic Who, and very sadly, he's actually dead now. Right. Uh, he actually died before they had a chance to give him a real appearance in Modern Who. Right. Um, which is why they introduced his daughter sure. as a character. Okay. Uh, but you're right. For a modern audience, Torchwood would have been the better option. Yeah. I think in storyline, Torchwood is gone by this point though I think I think they kind of mentioned Torchwood don't they because they've They're got Captain one... Jack's um, vortex manipulator yeah yeah, yeah. I, I recognise that there was um, so that that kind of needed more explanation for a, yeah. a, a non-who audience yeah uh, the idea of the aliens in this find they introduced that perfectly well I understood what was going on. Yeah, um, shapeshifters aren't exactly a new concept, no, are they? No, and they explain the red blood sucky thing, and you know they play yeah. it for laughs. It works perfect. That's it's fine. a machine that goes ding. Yeah, I like that. That was cool. Um, 
so the you, the introduction of that that they introduced the the idea of who, uh, Time Lord art really well. Mm. That was brilliant. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else didn't work because Unit gets introduced out of fucking nowhere. Mm. Uh, you've got. There's certain companions as a, and, and and old who actors like mm. Tom Baker that I didn't recognise. Yeah, that's probably more on me though because I think a lot of people, even if they didn't really know who, might yeah. recognise Tom Baker. It may just be me as an idiot. Yeah. Um. So you know, one bit that, oh, that take that one with a pinch of salt, yeah. if you will. Uh. And there's a lot of references to. Like they make the reference to Rose. Obviously, I understood that because yeah. I've watched the extra one. But most people who don't watch it probably won't know who she is. But it doesn't really affect the show too much. Uh, but there are references that Clara makes yeah. that I can't remember them exactly. But there are some references yeah. that Clara makes yeah. where I'm just like, what? I remember uh, Trenzalore was one you had to ask about. Where yes. they keep saying we're going to Trenzalore. Yeah. And I saw where we're buried. Uh, yeah, that is on. Obviously, you got to remember as well, this is obviously taken from the middle of a run in a show. That's actually yeah. all set up for the next episode. Right. Which, obviously, as someone just watching it as a standalone, is like, this is worthless information. I don't need this. Yeah, this could have been trimmed. But I understand that if this is a penultimate, I believe it's a penultimate yeah, episode the, to the season. So they said 23rd of November. Yep. And then on the 25th of December, which was the next episode, yep. Matt Smith leaves. Right. He regenerates. Right. So this was the penultimate episode, at least for Matt Smith. Yeah. Um, yeah, seeing it at least in the context of that season probably would have made more sense. Yes. Um, on its own, those lines are worthless. Yeah. I have no idea what you're going on about. The other things that aren't introduced, but you do see, you've got obviously the Doctor Who fan woman. Yeah, Osgood. Yeah. Um, is she? Uh, <laughs> and her, she's wearing she's, the what's Tom her Baker first scarf. Name? Her first name's really weird. You don't find it out till comparison. Petronella is her first name. Petronella. Petronella Osgood. Osgood. Okay. Um, but yeah, that character is kind of okay. Whatever. And you get the guy who eventually the Doctor calls on to move mm. the painting, who's yeah. kind of given a, a semi-serious role, yeah. but very briefly. Yeah. And it's like, who the fuck are you? I don't yeah. know you are either. So one of the key differences that I think you'll have noticed between RTD era Doctor Who, which is Eccleston and Tennant, and Smith era, to, I'm not saying it's worse at all, but RTD is much more straightforward. His episodes tend to be the TARDIS lands. So if, if he'd written this, mm. it would be the TARDIS lands, they deal with the Zygons, the episode wraps up. Moffat, in a positive sense, uses the fact that time travel is part of the show. Mm -hmm. So you get, don't you, the guy who you've just mentioned answers his phone near the beginning and he's like, hang on, that can't be. I just, yeah, whatever. And you don't know what's happened. Yeah. And later on, you see that the Doctor Who in his timeline has just left the room is now calling him from the future. Yeah. Um, And he also did, one thing I really like in this just because it's a cool little thing that I can't believe they'd never done before. I love the fact that they realise it's the same sonic screwdriver. Yeah. And that if they start a calculation with an older Doctor, it will still be going. Yeah. What I don't like, I like the joke. Yeah. But the problem is it, it just puts an unnecessary bent in the plot, is they're locked in this cell, they have a good conversation about how many children were on Gallifrey that day. And then... 
Clara just opens the door. Yeah. And the joke in the in the immediate term, the joke is funny. It's like, oh, three geniuses and they didn't think to open the door. Yeah. But then it leads to this whole oh, the real Queen Elizabeth is actually the one who's still alive, but she's posing as the Zygon leader. Yeah. And that that's just that an unnecessary work. complication yeah. that feels like Moffat only had to write that in because he wanted the joke. Yeah. Now, the other problem I have with that, um, that joke, quote-unquote, number one, it works really well. The joke itself works. Don't have an issue with that. They never call it back again. And yeah. what I mean by that is it should have required the um, John Hurt Doctor, whatever the final situation was, the resolve at the end, yeah. should have required a 400-year calculation. Well, no, to be fair, it did. That's the point. The reason they do the bit with the screwdriver is they then realise that the way to save Gallifrey is they had to start the calculation in the TARDIS right, right back at the first Doctor. Yeah. What is never explained is how they get in touch with the first Doctor. No. But seeing as the first Doctor is long since dead and they only had archive footage, I will accept it. Sure. Okay. But I just think it would have been better if the wartime Doctor was before the first Doctor. Mm. This may be shaking up canon. I don't really know. But if he was before the first Doctor... Chibnall has since introduced Doctors before the yeah, first yeah. Doctor. So if they'd done that, and then he starts the calculation, the other Doctors don't necessarily know yet that yeah. it's the calculation is running. Yeah. They could have then had it and set that up more like, in a better way. Yeah. That the calculation was already running before all the other Doctors we've seen. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I don't, again, th this is me from a, a perspective of ignorance... Mm. introducing shit into who canon yeah. that I could be dipping in someone else's pool without oh, of course know, um, without actually knowing you'd be like well actually this happens and that would nullify yeah. that so um, but yeah the Zygon plot does kind of just fizzle out yeah uh, basically you get that bit where they're both they're both Kate Stewart and they've got to deactivate this bomb or let it go off you get some cool lines I really like the line where the Zygon before they wipe their memories, the Zygon is trying to convince her to turn the bomb off. Yeah. And she goes, we only have to agree to live. And she goes, sadly, we can only agree to die. I quite like that line. That's a good line. Yeah. Um, and I like the idea of, oh, the best way to get the negotiation is don't know which side you're on. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. The problem is that is, it's basically just a triumphant moment of the doctor standing on a table and the music goes up. And then we move on to the time war stuff. Yeah, and we ignore the like. There's no. I, I would like to have seen more of the negotiation and how that goes. Yeah, but it's just kind of a swiftly move on. Yeah, that's kind of resolved yeah. itself somehow. But we never see the resolution. No, they do come back to it in the Capaldi era, um, and you basically get a new negotiation scene where you actually get to go through it more. Good, um, but that's arguably two years too late. Yeah, um, because it kind of should have been in this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does feel like this should have been a two-parter. Yeah. There's a lot of in-jokes, which are really good, that are classic in-jokes. There's obviously David Tennant's speech. There's uh, the fact that Tennant... Because classic doctors never kissed their companions. Mm. Tennant kisses fucking all of them. Um, and I do like the bit where he's like, does this happen a lot in the future? It does start to happen, yeah. <laughs> um, I, one that's a classic one, which you wouldn't know, but it's every time the doctors meet themselves when they walk into Matt Smith's TARDIS and Tennant goes, oh, you've redecorated. I don't like it. 
Mm. Um, that goes all the way back to the first ever multi-doctor story they ever did. Right. Where the second doctor walked into the third doctor's TARDIS and went, oh, you've redecorated. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, and now any time he meets himself... He doesn't like He doesn't it. like what they've done with it. <laughs> and, oh, the round things. I love the round things. What are the round things? I've no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing they agreed on, wasn't it? It was yeah. the first doctor's TARDIS um, design. And, and the correct answer is it was made for no money and they just went do loads of circles it'll give it a weird alien look yeah it was literally just that yeah yeah. (laughs) probably they had to actually cut bits out of the set to go using other props well you notice that the round things i think are in the museum yes on the wall they are so like because i was like what the fuck is that on the wall like every every other wall is just smooth and white and then there's other smooth white wall with these circles on it and And then they get to that and you're like oh it's the fucking circles yeah and it's when they're hinting towards tom baker coming in isn't it Uh, because i I guess the idea from what he says the idea is that eventually the doctor starts going back through old regenerations now which i'm guessing is what they might be doing with the new tenant well it's a nice touch but here's why i have a problem with it from a story point of view sure it's a nice way to get tom baker into it and explain why he looks so much older than when he was the doctor but here's why i have a problem with it in the storyline the doctor at this point was supposed to be limited to only 13 lives 12 regenerations because they added um Capaldi? Capal- no, uh John Hurtin. Right. And they decided to use uh in Tenant's fourth season, there is a bit I remember being so angry at them. There's a really good episode called Stolen Earth, uh, where the Daleks invade Earth. And the Doctor comes face to face with Rose again for the first time since she's been trapped in that parallel dimension at the end of season two. And they're running to each other and it's slow-mo and they're like, oh, Rose, blah, blah. And a Dalek comes around the corner and shoots him. Right. And they drag him into the TARDIS and she's like, no, Doctor, I finally found you again. You can't die now. And he starts to glow. And Captain Jack's like, it's too late, Rose. He's regenerating. And the episode literally ends with him throwing his arms out and all the gold lights coming out incredible end to an episode i was like 14 at this point i was like oh my god they they've somehow oh my kept, god my god yeah, they've somehow kept it a secret that tenants leaving yeah they hadn't it was a fake out to boost ratings uh and what he actually does is he ends up channeling that regeneration energy into his own severed hand because he gets his hand cut off earlier and it grows a second doctor it's really stupid it's a big misstep but what moffat ended up doing was saying that that also counted as a regeneration and he just kept the same face right meaning that matt smith is the last doctor right and the whole of that next episode the one that aired christmas day is that it's Matt Smith? That's it. The Doctor is going to die on Trenzalore. Yeah. Um, in a town called Christmas, right. where no one can tell a lie. That was a terrible episode as well, if I recall. No, I quite like it. it. Some uh, people hate it. Right. There's I'd, some silly yeah. bits in it, mm-hmm. like so. It's basically a siege episode mm-hmm. where um, all these different He's races there for hundreds of years, isn't he? Yeah, three hundred years, I think. Right. And basically, all of his enemies have to start improvising because they can't get into the town because of all the defenses he sets up. And one of them is metal detectors, so they build a wooden Cyberman, right? That then fires a flamethrower. What? It's made of wood, Rory, and it's firing a flamethrower from stupid. its arm. And it's like, oh, Moffat. <laughs> 
<laughs> See what I mean? Good idea, but you didn't think about the execution of it. A crossbow. Yeah. Um, or just not a wooden Cyberman. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Plastic Cyberman. And then the gimmick is that the Time Lords, so all the way through Matt Smith's era, there's these cracks he keeps finding in space and time. And all them hoes he's been looking yeah. at. <laughs> and he finds one on Trenzalore, and basically what he's doing is guarding that crack from all these different alien races. Right. Because, if I remember right, the Doctor basically can end the entire universe. All he has to do is say his real name into the crack. Frank. <laughs> and basically... <laughs> I'd love it yeah. if it was just Dave. Bob. Yeah. After all this, so what's your name? I'm the Doctor. I'm the Doctor. So let's just say your name, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> and what they end up doing that was very cool was it turns out that what's on the other side of these cracks is the pocket dimension that they've just put Gallifrey in at the right. end of the episode we've just watched. Right. And basically. Uh, the doctor realizes he has to seal off all these cracks because it's just like it's just, and he's dying and he's old and Clara begs them through the crack. She's basically like, you know, the doctor fixed the time war. He saved you from annihilation. You you have to save him. You owe him. So they grant him a new set of regeneration energy. So so Capaldi is almost a new first doctor. Right. And then Chibnall came along and went, oh, actually, the doctor always had infinite regenerations oh. because the doctor's not a Gallifreyan. They're actually the timeless child that fell through a vortex from another dimension. Uh, sorry, a parallel universe. And the Time Lords experimented on her and that's where they got their regeneration powers from. Right. So and a lot less complicated. It's, it's a lot less... <laughs> It's it's just the fact as well that like one of the best things about the Doctor is that they're not special. The Doctor's not a sp yeah they're special to us humans, but as a Time Lord, the Doctor's kind of shit. Yeah, and and he just steals a TARDIS and runs away. Yeah, and that's so much cooler than you were always destined. It's, yeah. it's the same reason the I Am Your Father twist in Star Wars is kind of shit. No one wants to say it. But it's much cooler when it's, oh, you know, this farm boy was plucked from obscurity yeah. than, See, oh, I... you were always the villain's son. You were always going to have to do this. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I I kind of don't mind it in Star Wars as much, but then Star Wars I don't take as seriously as some other things. Um, I don't take this particularly seriously either, but uh, it's the reason it's what ruined Riddick. Yes. Um, in the in the first Riddick film, which was Pitch Black, Pitch Black yeah. he was a he wasn't a side character. He was like a secondary main, mm. but he wasn't the lead character. That no. was the female captain. Um, what made him awesome was that he was a criminal who'd replaced his eyes so he could be better a, a better criminal mm. and a better like, a better killer. And he was fucking hard, and you didn't know if you could ever trust him. Mm. And in fact, it kind of proves that you couldn't trust him at one point until something happens to change his mind. Um, but yeah, so basically Riddick was this cool, hard badass with these these unique eyeballs. Then they do, uh, because his character becomes really popular from that, they do the film The Chronicles of Riddick, even though it's only the second fucking film. Chronicles. Jesus Christ. But anyway, they call it The Chronicles of Riddick, and it, it, throughout that film, he starts off just fine, a criminal, back in prison, finding his way out, I'll kill you with my teacup, or something like that, and uh, basically, it then turns out at the end, it's like, well, he's actually got fury and blood, and the anger that he feels that makes him kill is just part of his species, and he was destined to be king, and now he will be King Riddick, and you're like, 
you've completely neutered the cool factor of yeah. this character by making him royal blood, always of the throne. Blood. That's not the character to do it with. The What made him cool wasn't that he was royal blood man. Yeah. It was that he was hardened criminal that might have some semblance of a heart somewhere. Yeah. That's what worked. Yeah. You fucked it. Yeah. Straight away by introducing that element. Um, so yeah, I do see your point. Yeah. Sometimes you introduce this idea of, oh, but they're always from royalty and you're just like, you've ruined it. Yeah. You, you broke it. So let's wrap up with the big ending, which is probably the biggest fan service moment in television history. Yeah. Um, and what's hilarious is, seven, hang on, let me do the maths. Six years later, the MCU would basically rip this off. Uh, basically, they realised that the way to save Gallifrey is they can trap it in Time Lord art, freeze it in a single moment of time and in a pocket the dimension. To destroy each other by accident. Yeah, because they're surrounding the planet and all constantly firing on each, on the yeah. planet. When the planet disappears, they blow themselves up. Yeah. Um, and yet somehow Daleks survive, because that's what Daleks do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> never believe someone when they say well, they've killed the last Dalek. I think the reason is, is uh, again, that fits in with the Nazi allegory that the Daleks always were meant to have. We've annihilated the Nazi regime mm. entirely, and yet neo-Nazis still pop up. Yeah. So I think that kind of works in a weird way. Yeah. Whether it's intended that way or not is another thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it definitely holds up. It's like, oh, the Nazis are all gone. Oh, thank God for that. Oh, oh yeah, but I've got this swastika tattoo on me forehead now. Yeah. And I've decided I don't like this species, this yeah. people and these people. And you're like, oh, yeah. we got rid of We're you. We're supposed to be done with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they basically realise that if they run this calculation in the TARDIS for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they can teleport Gallifrey out of there and freeze it in an instant of time. Nice. So you get this lovely bit where the three doctors that are in the special, Tennant, Matt Smith and John Hurt, they're talking to the War Council of Gallifrey and they're like, you know, this is the only option, but you'd still have hope, blah, blah, blah. And the War Council are like, okay, do it. And... All of the doctors turn up, all of the ones there's ever been up to this point, through archive footage, because a lot of them are dead and a lot of them wouldn't return. Yeah. Um, you, you've got a little tease of Capaldi. Yeah, you get his so, eyebrows. The eyebrows, you. yeah. So at, so at this point, people knew Capaldi was the incoming doctor. He'd right. been announced. Um, but we didn't think we'd be seeing him until the end of the Christmas special when Matt Smith regenerates. Yeah. Um, it turns out he's involved in this part of the time war as well. Yeah, I mean, they just bought him in and literally spent 30 seconds doing his eyebrows uh, <laughs> because they're very iconic eyebrows. As he says when he's regenerated, dear God, look at the eyebrows. You could take bottle tops off with these. <laughs> um, and then he says uh, the way he realises he's Scottish is he's, he's going on a rant about his appearance. And he goes, and why are my eyebrows so cross? They're crosser than the rest of my face. They're independently cross. They probably want to seed from the rest of my face and start their own independent union of eyebrows. Oh, God, I'm Scottish, aren't I? <laughs> there's loads of Scot... So, I don't know if you know, but Stephen Moffat is Scottish as well. Right. Um, there's lo During the Capaldi era, there are loads of Scottish independence jokes. <laughs> he, he makes a joke about how every time Britain colonises a new planet the Scots immediately declare independence. <laughs> well, well, let's bring Star Trek into this with Scotland. Yeah. It's not It's not good for Scotland. In fact, it's not good for Star Trek. It's worse for Star Trek than it is for Scotland because it's Star Trek being twats. Oh, okay. 
Uh, and you've got this to look forward to because you're currently going through Next Gen. Uh, season 7, I believe. Mm. There is an episode... One of the worst episodes of Star Trek is a Dr. Beverly Crusher episode. Oh, is this where she meets the Scottish bloke? She doesn't meet a Scottish bloke. It's a ghost or something. No, no. Her grandmother, who lives on Planet Scotland. Right. It's not called Planet Scotland, but it's Planet Scotland. Like, it's old Scottish Gothic they were, architecture. They were like Braveheart. <laughs> yeah, they, they, wear, they play bagpipes, they wear kilts, and they all talk with Scottish accents. Some of them are very obviously not Scottish. Oh, like when they had the Irish characters and none of them were Irish. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we've got a lot of non-Scot Scottish people. And, uh, yeah, her grandmother's ex-lover, who is a good-looking sort of mid to late 30s young yeah. man, uh, comes in and starts having sex with her. And she. it turns out that he's a, an alien ghost, Scottish alien ghost, trapped in a candle. Excellent. Uh, yeah, and he comes back to give her sex, and in replacement, she loses all desire to do anything but live there and have sex with him. And uh, he lives. He lives. Basically, his energy is fed by having sex with her. Uh, and we don't was, kink shame here, folks. No, uh, it was. <laughs> if, you, if you want to be a weird sex ghost that lives in a candle, that's your business. <laughs> yep. Uh, and there is there is a shot where she is sitting in a, a, on a couch on, on a sofa a sofa chair. And she is, uh, basically, the direction is, you are sitting there being pleasured by a man who is not in the scene. Right. Uh, as Captain Picard walks in and finds you basically... Uh, Ghost orgasm. Yes. By yourself. <gasps> I was going to make a joke. Yeah. I was gonna and make... you're like, what the fuck? And the thing is, as well, the episode was directed by Patrick Stewart. Oh. Uh, now, to be oh fair... Oh, my God, that fits so well with the... Um, and then I walk okay. in, and, and then uh, all of their all clothes, clothes fall off. Now, and she's scrambling to get them, but I've already seen I've seen everything. everything. Um, the thing is, so he asked... During the later seasons of Next Gen, uh, the Star Trek crew, and by that I mean the uh, crew of the show, not the crew of the ship, um, they started this thing, which was kind of cool, where the actors, if they wanted to, could ask to direct episodes. Yeah, lots of shows do that. You'll notice in Friends, towards the end, David Schwimmer directs a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in X-Files, both Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny had a shot at directing as nice. well. Nice. Uh, the thing is, is they didn't get to pick the episodes. It would just be like, right, you're going to be... Yeah, you're going to be doing... And to be fair... I uh, don't believe Patrick Stewart was meant to do that episode. No. It was meant to be another one, but they had to switch it around in the schedule for some odd reason. That is how direct... So I, I listen to the Mick Garris podcast owner, yeah. um, and he's he's done a lot of directing for hire on TV, yeah. and he, he said, I, I don't know why, I just didn't know it works that way. When you're a director for hire on TV, you don't get given your script until you turn up. Yeah. You you agree to a date. You don't agree to an episode. Yep, that's right. You agree to write, you're directing this block, yep. and we don't know what episodes will be in that block yet, yeah. but when you get here, there'll be two episodes or three episodes, and, and you, you get the scripts like a week before, apparently, if you're lucky yeah um so yeah he had to come up with like a directorial idea for an episode that was garbage in concept and has not aged well no uh in any certainly with how scottish people don't like being taken the piss out of and now there's they don't take the piss out of scots but it kind of feels like they're taking the piss out of yeah. scots when you've got loads of americans sitting there and, and you're like yeah. no no no. I was, was going to make a joke when you said you see her on the couch. I was going to make a joke, but I knew you wouldn't get it because you've not seen it. There's a really good episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia right. where they go onto a film set. 
Right. And because D has got a part as an extra. Right. But she doesn't realise she's only an extra. She thinks she's got lines and she keeps trying to get them to add lines in. Uh, Frank thinks he's an agent and basically uh, the others are trying to pitch a movie. And they pitch this movie that's a crime film with Dolph Lundgren in it as a scientist who in an... Uh, that's uh, funny because he is a scientist. Yeah, yeah. As a scientist who in a lab accident accidentally heightens his sense of smell to the point where he can smell crime and <laughs> anyway they, they tell dennis the idea and De- obviously dennis is the sex obsessed one and there's this bit where he's he's laying out what the film should be and he goes your film sounds terrible this is what it's going to be we cast Dolph Lundgren as your crime smelling scientist and a hot buxom lab assistant who will be the main love interest um, her character name means nothing as long as she's busty or something like that and then he goes and here's how the plot of the film goes he's in the lab he's working uh, he does the experiment the lady comes and he decides to have sex and we get full penetration he's like we show full penetration then he goes out he fights crime back to the lab full penetration goes out fights crime back to the lab full penetration and he says full penetration like six times and then he goes and this just continues for about 90 or so minutes until the film just sort of ends and he thinks that's a brilliant (laughs) movie (laughs) anyway um, so yeah, this, it, it, I'm not going to lie, even now, I, I can't believe it, but I was sitting here grinning like a fucking maniac when all yeah. the doctors turned up. It's I don't watch reaction videos a lot because I think they're stupid, but one of the only reaction videos I've ever watched is someone did a compilation of that moment um, where all the doctors turn up and it leads up to Capaldi, and it's all these different fans. And yet, you know, I'm sure some people... Uh, people we know would look at them and be like what a bunch of fucking nerds but honestly and to be fair they are nerds these are people who are sitting watching Doctor Who in Doctor Who cosplay a lot of them Um, they've all got like bow ties and feathers on and stuff but do you know what they love the show and I can only hope and pray that I am fortunate enough at some point in my career to make something that has that level of an emotional impact on people. Because these people, men and women, are crying their eyes out, cheering, clapping. Yeah, they're all in, like, groups, a lot of them. Like, they've had their friends around to come watch it. Um, I, I just don't see how something that gives you that reaction can be bad. It was the same when I saw Avengers Endgame in the cinema, to be fair. Yeah. Like, that's... Isn't that what we dream of as filmmakers? To touch somebody that much? And I don't mean in a sexual way. I was going to say Harvey Weinstein. I didn't beat you to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but do you, know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, want, you want to make someone cry or feel joy. Yeah, or yeah. You want to affect something. someone. Yeah. yeah. No, I get um, that. So I love it. I love, the, I love that moment. I think fair play to Moffat. I don't think... I'm not being pessimistic here. I don't think RTD is going to top it with the 60th because I don't think there's any other Doctors in the 60th. I think it's just Tenant. Mm. Um, I know it could just be them doing the Spider-Man thing, but I know Smith and Capaldi have both denied that they're coming back. Right. Um Eccleston definitely won't, obviously. If he didn't come back for the 50th. And RTD, in his first era, didn't have any interest in bringing back classic people. He wasn't... He wanted his show to be his show. Yeah. And given that Disney now technically owned Doctor Who, um, 
I think they'll want to cut ties with the past. So or I think we're just going to get they some... They might bring in the Avengers. Don't even. Do you know what? That's probably the only way they could revive my interest in the MCU at this point. Yeah. Given that the current main villain they're building to is a time traveller, it would be pretty cool. Mm. Just fucking Kang the Conqueror's wrecking shit and the Avengers like, we can't That's stop him. That's how they're going to introduce him into the MCU. Yeah. And they just He's going to walk out. <laughs> yeah. He's just going to come out with the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. And Defeat be like, Kang the Conqueror. Yeah, see you, Kang. Hey, I don't care. If As long as they stick to Doctor Who and he doesn't, you know, start getting... Because the point is he doesn't solve his problems with violence. Yeah, the MCU will ruin that. Basically. Oh, I know. To be fair, to be fair, I'll give them this. We're going to end this episode now, but I will give them this. Uh, Doctor, the first Doctor Strange film, he doesn't solve his problems with violence. Doctor it's Who? Doctor Strange. It's got a very... Ah, um, you did so. I got it. It's uh, got a very Doctor Who type ending where basically he, uh, the main villain in Doctor Strange 1 is a, a being called Dormammu, who is a, you know, unfeasible ancient god from the dawn of the universe who lives in another dimension. And I can't what that dimension is called. I think it's just called the Dark Dimension, actually. I think it's not very imaginative. And basically... <laughs> his mum's basement. <laughs> he wants to invade. Basically, his dimension, what it does is it continuously grows and swallows other dimensions. And now he wants to come to Earth and swallow our dimension. And the way Doctor, Doctor Strange obviously cannot beat him in a fight. Because he's a literal god. So the way Doctor Strange beats him is he flies into the Dark Dimension with the Time Stone, the Infinity Stone... And goes, he goes in, he goes, it's a bit of a meme. He goes in, he goes, Dormammu, I've come to bargain. And Dormammu squishes him. And then he loops back. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. And it repeats for hundreds and hundreds of years. Because the Dark Dimension has no time. Right. And Doctor Strange has now introduced time right. to it. And Dormammu don't like that. He's like, what is this? I hate this. And he, he agrees to leave Earth alone. So he, he outwits him, basically. Right. Which I like. It was so nice to have a superhero film for, where, for once, the solution isn't how hard can I punch the villain. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I don't have anything more to say, really, without going off onto all sorts of tangents. No. Um, I think they did the best with what... Obviously, this isn't technically a film, and we won't make a habit of reviewing TV shows on here. It is Second Take Cinema. This is purely me indulging myself, because, hey, how often do shows make a 60th anniversary? And the way my health is, I won't be around for the 70th one. So... It's the 75th. 75th. Oh, there's a load of memes going around, you know, of like David, David Tennant in a load of old man makeup. Because there's an episode where the Doctor gets aged really far. Mm. And they made him up as like a really shriveled old goblin man. And um, there's a load of memes now where it's him in that outfit. And it goes, the year is 20 whatever. Um, the BBC are wheeling out David Tennant for Doctor Who's 100th anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> because he's the one they just keep bringing back. Like yeah. There was no doubt in anyone's mind. Like As soon as they said 60th, people like David Tennant. Yeah. That's the one you bring it's back. Because he's the most Tennant. popular one. Yeah. Which is annoying for me because I like him, but I much prefer Capaldi. Yeah. And Eccleston. I think even Smith, actually. I think Tennant might be my second and least favourite. No, not Whitaker. Whitaker's oh, terrible. Um, no offence to Jodie Whitaker. It's not her. the ankle hanger and it's, dungarees. It's not her fault. It's the scripts that she had. They were and awful. And the costume. And the costume. The costume is dire. The worst costume. What's ever. worse, that costume or the Sixth Doctor's multicoloured abomination? <laughs> that one. I can't stand ankle swinging dungarees. Yeah, to be fair, at least his ankles are covered. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I, I cannot abide ankle swinging dungarees. Yeah, I get you. Like, I would wear the multicoloured jacket first. Anyway, any last words on your first Doctor Who viewing experience in a long time? Uh, no, no. It was enjoyable. It worked. Um, you know, it was a bit rushed. It's not perfect. Uh, and there was a couple of elements. It is the BBC we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. And there was a couple of things that they really should have introduced a bit better. Mm. Um, but overall, the emotion, the, the main part of it, the emotional payoff does work. And for me, that makes it worth watching. Yeah. If the pa- emotional payoff didn't work, then this would be shit canned. Yeah. Garbage. Um, but no, it does work. It, it, it works perfectly well. Thunderbar. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's obviously, by the time you listen to this, it'll be nearly the end of November. So we'll soon be transitioning into our Christmas episodes. And we've got some real doozies planned for you for Christmas. No, no, I was trying to think in my head. Um, we've got some real doozies planned for you for Christmas. Some real classics. And some that I think might be a bit more left field for people. Uh one in particular that's not really a Christmas film, but I watch it every year near Christmas, so we've done it. Uh-huh. Um, no, Serendipity. Uh, Your yeah. favourite film, Rory? Yeah, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> oh, no, let's leave that as a surprise for him. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Second Take Cinema, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.